Okay, as I said, if you're a visitor here today, uh, I just want to start off kind of by apologizing right up front here because today is not going to be like every other Sunday that we typically have, a normal Sunday. Um, we're calling today's service a family meeting. Um, in Scripture, followers of Jesus Christ or are often called uh, the family of believers or the family of God. And really, that's what we are. We are a family, and you are my brothers and my sisters. And honestly, just speaking from my perspective here, uh, never have I been part of a church that so resembles a family like you guys. Um, you really are seriously family to me. Uh, my wife and I, Shauna and I, you have, you're so close to us, we, we just consider you guys closer than some of our own family members, and so we just appreciate that. That's so awesome. So in typical fashion, as w you know, with a family, we're calling a family meeting uh, to discuss some things that are coming up in the future to make sure that everyone knows what's going on and everyone is on the same page. Uh, we feel that if we don't do this, it could harm some of the family atmosphere that we have and some people might feel left out because, you know, every family has them. There's the person in the family who never knows what's going on. And you feel like you've told them, but they just don't know. Ours is our middle child, Caleb. I swear, we'll be getting ready. Two days, we're going to be going to Arizona to visit my parents. What? <laughs> Nobody told me we're going. I, I, I'm meeting with my friends. I can't go. I'm like, well, you're going. We got you tickets. I'm like, what? No, you didn't. Nobody told me this. And she, he feels like we never just never tell him. So he feels like he doesn't, isn't part of the family or whatever. But we don't want that to happen here at Whitestone. If we're going to make any mistake, we're going to try to make the mistake of over-communicating so that everybody knows what's going on. And the majority of the family gathers on Sunday morning. So we thought, well, this is the best time to do this in place of our normal services and uh, just to get the entire family together and talk about the stuff. Okay, does that make sense? So just warning you, it's going to be a little different than what we normally have. Now, as with any family, you want to make sure that everyone is being cared for. Uh, and sometimes as the family grows, that's very hard to do. Uh, but here at Whitestone, we have a staff that is put into place to do exactly that, to care for the family. Um, our job is to make sure that the Whitestone family is being taken care of spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever it might be. And each person on the staff has a specific role to play in order to accomplish that, from taking care of the children all the way up to, to senior citizens. We want to make sure that we're functioning as a family. And I must say, I just want to say this right at the beginning here too, uh, I am honored to work with some of the greatest people on earth. This staff is just amazing. They're crazy, but they're fun to work with. They are just, and they love you guys. They just love you guys, and they love serving this White, Whitestone family. Um, we don't do it perfectly, but we're doing our best to take care of this, uh, you know, growing family. Now, part of the job of this staff is to be wise stewards of the money uh, that you so generously give each week. And you, I just want to say this to you, you guys are some of the most generous people that I know. Um, your generosity has literally blessed thousands of people across this world. And it really is amazing. And it's our job to make sure that that money gets used to care for not only this Whitestone family, but the extended community as well, needs in the community, and, and in the world, like even Malawi, Africa. You guys have impacted people's lives there. And you guys have entrusted us to manage this money wisely and effectively and in a way that would honor the Lord, and we take that job very seriously. We really do, very seriously. And we will continue to do that as long as we... 
uh, serve in these positions uh, for this Whitestone family. Now, this is part of the reason why we're calling this meeting today. We want to share some ideas of what we think will prove to be very helpful for Whitestone in the long run and allow you to think about them and pray about it. Um, Doug, in a few seconds, is going to get up here and lay out clearly, clearly some of the plans that we have before, some of the visions that we have before us. And we just wanted you to hear it, you to see it, and, and to see how you might be part of them. And uh, before Doug gets up here, I just want to take a few moments to brag on him. He is our administrative pastor, and I tell you, he does an amazing job at that. I am so blessed to have him across the hall in the office working hard for this Whitestone family. He's very gifted at seeing the big picture and implementing the steps to get there and, and you know, seeing the apparent future that God has for us as a church. And I couldn't think of a better dude to have on the team to deal with all this stuff. And to top it all off, he loves you guys. He loves the Whitestone family. There isn't much that he wouldn't do for the Whitestone family. And so I know Doug hates this uh, because he would rather be behind the scenes and kind of unnoticed, but let's just make him really uncomfortable right now and, and give him a big <laughs> round of applause and welcome him up here. Thank you, Luke, and good morning to everyone. Well, my job this morning is to give you an update on uh, the possibility of a building expansion, what progress has been made, and what the next steps are. But before we get into that, let's just take a step back and think about how truly blessed this body of believers is. Here at Whitestone, we have a very gifted lead pastor. As Luke mentioned, we have a diligent staff. We have a DNA, a culture, if you will, <clears throat> here at Whitestone that's loving and friendly. We've got 53 acres of land. Boy, there are churches all over America that would uh, do about anything to have that much land. We have a functional building that served us well. And we have no major financial issues. But even more important, Hundreds of folks have come to understand what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. And those folks are trying hard to live their lives accordingly. And as this church body has become more and more committed to following Jesus, it has become more energized to extend God's kingdom in the Lake Country area and other parts of the world. But folks... Uh, Whitestone's at a crossroads. It's a little bit like a bus, the right bus, that's going down the right road, but there just simply aren't enough seats on the bus. And that's actually a pretty good analogy because we want to make a crystal clear today that you are the church. It's not a building. It's not a bus. It's a vehicle that is there to serve the kingdom of God. And so don't ever think that uh, our goal is to build a monument to, uh, to ourselves or to Whitestone or to the elders. The purpose of Whitestone is to make disciples who understand, live, and extend the kingdom of God. Let me share just a little bit about the history of this building. About 20 years ago, uh, a uh, 
part of the building that we refer to as the barn, which is basically the cafe and the offices and up above, was purchased. Uh, it was remodeled and this part was added onto it. It was uh, designed for 250 to 300 people if one service is held. You'd stretch that to 500 a little more with two services. Of course, as you all know, we're now at three services. And we've grown to uh, about 700 people that would include adults and children at an average Sunday. And as a result, we have been and continue to deal with a number of crowding issues. Uh, the one that uh, you're probably most familiar with is that some Sundays it's hard to find a seat in here, particularly Christmas and Easter. But actually, if you were gonna make a list of the crowding issues, that would probably be down the line a ways. Number one, in my opinion, is we don't have enough Sunday school rooms and some of the Sunday school rooms we have are simply not large enough for the number of kids that uh, are coming to be served. As you all know, this hallway here can become very congested. The cafe's not big enough. We don't really have a full functioning kitchen. We've run out of offices. Uh, we have uh, three gals squeezed into a space that uh, I would think most of you probably have walk-in closets bigger than that space. And we have another staff member that's uh, officing out of a uh, room that was intended to be storage. Parking can be a problem. And as Luke has pointed out many, many times, we don't have enough bathrooms, <laughs> particularly urinals. Amen. amen, we got an amen there. Well, over the past five years, the elders have looked at many options as far as how to address this crowding issue, these crowding issues, and how to accommodate future growth. We've looked at selling this building, and we've had a few people look. We had one very serious party, and the thought was if we could sell this building, we'd go somewhere else on the 53 acres and build a new facility. We've looked at numerous locations in Oconomowoc and smaller communities to the south and to the west for possible satellite locations. We also took a very serious look at the Old Century Grocery Store on Wisconsin Avenue in Oconomowoc. But for different reasons, none of these options seem to have God's blessing. Expanding this building has always been an option, and about a year ago, the elders felt more and more led that that was the direction that God was leading them. But there are some caveats to that. They thought that would be the best idea, the one that God was directing them towards, if it could be effectively blended with the existing building, so the new would uh, tie in nicely with the old, if a way could be found to fully utilize, in fact, even make existing square footage more effective, and that there would be plenty of gathering spaces and conversation areas. Because the elders recognize that Whitestone has become a very relational church and that part of the purpose of a building is to enhance that DNA that God has instilled in Whitestone. So how do you do those things? Well, to address that question, a building design committee was appointed. Uh, that committee consisted of Kayleen Engel, Walter Kirchhoff, Paul Anzac, worship pastor Kirk Hansen, and myself. 
This committee went to work and uh, conducted quite a bit of research looking at trends in church buildings, how other churches have done just that, found ways to maintain as much intimacy as possible, but uh, uh, still build relationships. We visited other contemporary churches. We evaluated about 10 architectural firms. Six of those firms were uh, invited to do on-site inspections, and all six of those submitted proposals for at least the initial design phase. Of those six, three uh, moved to the top, and references were checked on those three, and representatives of those three firms came in for an interview with the committee. Of the 10, all were local, either from the Madison or Milwaukee area, except one, and that was an outfit out of Utah called Building God's Way. Building God's Way came to the surface for several reasons. The first one that carried a lot of weight with me, they were the only firm that insisted we open the interview with a word of prayer. They also were the firm that got it. They understood who Whitestone is and wants to become. They're also by far the most experienced of, the other, of all the firms in building churches. They've done about 700 churches, most of them I would call them contemporary churches nationwide. We were also attracted to their initial design process, which they call a charrette. And many of you participated in this back in March, where it's compressed into three days. At the end of those three days, you have a preliminary design, and then they uh, uh, take it and fine-tune it just a little bit, and we tweaked it a little bit too, and then they come up with an initial cost estimate. I'm not going to uh, share a lot of details this morning on what the uh, proposed expansion is going to look like. Uh, that will be forthcoming in the weeks ahead as far as uh, a floor plan and some things like that. But uh, if you'll give me the first slide, this is... Uh, an artist's rendition of what it, uh, it would look like from the outside. And let me just point out a few uh, uh, things that uh, have been incorporated into this. First of all, architecturally and aesthetically, uh, the attempt was made to tie the old with the new. Uh, with our current building, we have the uh, very steep pitched roof, and so there are areas in what's basically a flat roof building uh, with a uh, steep pitched roof to blend it in. The main entrance you can see there uh, in the foregrounds would go into a pretty large gathering area. Within this gathering area there would be conversation areas, a cafe, places for people to hang out around a fireplace or just uh, uh, have conversations. That gathering area would be the hub of the wheel if you will. Then as you look at this, your left, the portion there that's flat roof, that would be a, the uh, Christian or the children's education uh, wing. Uh, there'd be uh, an adequate number of classrooms and they would be large enough to handle the number of children, in fact, uh, more children than we're seeing right now. And so that would uh, uh, spoke off of the gathering space. Also, if you go straight ahead in the background where you see the uh, fairly steep pitched roof, that would be a larger worship room. Uh, it's designed for a maximum of uh, 588 seats. Uh, in my opinion, it'd be more comfortable at about 550. Uh, this room has about 300 seats in it, so it would be larger, uh, but it wouldn't be 
uh, an extremely large uh, worship room. There would be uh, also just off that uh, uh, in the cafe area would be a full kitchen, not a, necessarily a commercial kitchen, but a kitchen that can be used for a lot more than the, uh, the serving spaces we have now. Another thing that uh, appeals to me about this is there would be uh, two or three very convenient connection points between the old and the new. And so you're not going to feel like you have to walk through a maze to get from one part of the building to the other. There would also be an elevator which would service the second floor of our current building, which is something that we didn't need according to code, but in my opinion we needed very badly because uh, handicap accessibility to our second floor is almost impossible. Another thing that appeals to me about this uh, uh, design is the use of this room. This room would become a multi-purpose or multi-purpose chapel. Uh, it could be used for weddings, it could be used for conferences, it could be used for youth group, uh, it could be used for overflow on Sunday mornings or even simultaneous services uh, where uh, there'd be live music both here and in the new uh, worship room, but in this case, we'd probably be seeing Luke up on the screen. Uh, would, Luke could be live in the other room and on the screen here. That gives us a lot of flexibility. Uh, if you've got two rooms, you can uh, use one and not the other, depending on, on uh, how your growth is shaking out. <clears throat> That's a, a real brief description, and as I said, uh, we'll have uh, the floor plan available here before too long. So the next logical question, how much is it going to cost? Well, it's not cheap. Buildings are not cheap. When you include the remodeling of this building, uh, it's going to be in excess of $5 million. And I know that sounds like a very big number. So the next logical question is, can we afford it? And how should we as a church body pay for it? To answer that question, the elders appointed a building stewardship committee. Uh, this uh, included folks who all have either experience in finance or had training in finance. I also think it's positive that there are uh, more, more than one generation represented on this committee. That committee was made up of Gene Hine, Pat Walsh, Daryl Meisner, Andrea Burke, Maggie Battenberg, who is the church's uh, financial director, and myself. I really want to hand it to this committee because uh, there were times when we were almost ready to throw up our hands and basically say this is too big a nut to crack, that uh, this is just uh, not doable. But they dug in and they were committed to finding a way to make this happen that would be honoring to God and would not put Whitestone at financial risk. The result of that diligent work was that uh, four recommendations were given to the elders, and the elders have asked me to pass them along to you this morning. Recommendation number one, significantly reduce or eliminate, can you give me the next slide, Grace? Significantly reduce or eliminate existing debt by the end of September. The insert in your bulletin uh, gives some detail on this, and so I encourage you to uh, maybe this afternoon read through that carefully. 
But you might say, why the end of September? <clears throat> We've been benefiting a great deal from uh, a very low interest rate the last three years. And the way we achieved that low interest rate was with the three-year arm. So uh, the mortgage that we have is due to re be refinanced at the end of September. And we've made really good progress. Our current debt is $570,000. Uh, as you can see on the insert, that's down sharply from a few years ago and uh, even more from 10 years ago. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we had zero or very little debt to refinance uh, when September rolled around? So you'll see this at the bottom of the sheet. What we're asking you to do is simply to ask God how he wants you to participate in this effort to eliminate Whitestone's existing debt and then simply be obedient to whatever he leads you. So that's the first recommendation. Recommendation number two, explore options for selling land to jumpstart the building process. As I mentioned, <clears throat> we're blessed to have 53 acres of land in an area that is gradually, although there hasn't been a lot of progress lately, seeing some development. Uh, the uh, committee felt and the elders agreed that we should look at the possibility of selling 20 acres of so or so to uh, get this thing going. Basically, if you've got a pie this big, if we could sell land, it would make a smaller pie that we have to, to slice up to figure out how to put a financial package together for. It must be the right buyer, it must be the right price. And I want to tell you right up front that any potential land deal must be approved by, at a special business meeting by a two-thirds majority of voting members. So uh, all voting members are going to have an opportunity to, to have a say on this. So that's recommendation number two, to explore all options on the possibility of selling some land. Recommendation number three. The Building Stewardship Committee felt very strongly that the amount of money borrowed should be limited so that Whitestone does not become a slave to debt. This is probably the most important question. It's not probably, it was the most important question that the uh, uh, Building Stewardship Committee dealt with. Scripture does not forbid borrowing, but insists that all borrowing be done responsibly. What does that mean? What does responsible borrowing mean for a church? Well, if you went online or did any type of research, you are going to find all kinds of ratios and rules of thumb and guidelines that measure the financial health of a church and even give guidelines on how much a church should have in debt. And frankly, Whitestone fits all of those ratios very well. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the financial health of this church is solid. But to the committee, those almost seemed arbitrary, and there wasn't uniform agreement on the recommendation. Some people say a church should never have more than one and a half times its budget in debt. Others say, oh, you can borrow three or three and a half times your budget and be just fine. We wanted to get specific. We wanted to look at Whitestone and come up with a recommendation that fit 
our unique situation and not just a blanket recommendation that was designed for uh, all churches. <clears throat> okay, to help you explain this, let's make this just a little more personal. Let's say your family's grown and you've decided you gotta have a bigger house. Well, probably one of the first things you're gonna do is go to a lending institution or maybe more than one lending institution and say, can I get a loan? How much can I get a loan for? Well, I promise you what they're gonna look at is how much of your income is it gonna to take to make those mortgage payments? And they're gonna be reluctant to let you go much over 30%. Well, that same standard applies to churches too. When a church goes to get a mortgage, they don't want you to go over 30, 33% of your donations. Well, the finance committee was not comfortable with that 30%. So the recommendation that they sent to the elders and that I'm relaying to you today is that we keep that percentage down to 20%, well below the industry standard, but a much safer landing area in the opinion of the stewardship committee. So what we're saying, the recommendation is to make sure that no more than 20% of the donations are used to service debt. Okay, 20% of what? We again wanted to make this very specific to Whitestone's case. So what we did, primarily Maggie, I think I saw her come in, we created a budget for post-construction. What's our budget gonna look like if and when this building gets expanded? The first thing we did, as you all know, if you have a bigger house, it's gonna take more money to take care of it. We doubled every single operational expense. That includes maintenance, electricity, uh, internet, snow removal, everything. Everything that falls into under operational in our budget, we doubled. Now, I'm not sure any of them are actually gonna double, and some of them aren't gonna change much, like internet and, and telephone. But to be on the safe side, we doubled every single operational expense. Then we went to ministry expenses and we increased every one of those by 50%. Uh, I'm not sure that I think that'll be very safe. There were some that could increase 50%, but I think that was a very safe assumption. We also added $100,000 to staffing costs. That included a custodian. It included uh, probably another office personnel someone to uh, help with the technical aspects of audio and video and so forth. It did not include adding a pastor to the staff. So, doubled operational, 50% increase in ministry, $100,000 more for staff. Ended up with a, a bigger number on uh, total expenses. What kind of growth is it gonna take to cover those expenses? So we did the math. And where it came out was that we needed a 38% increase in attendance and therefore giving to have a balanced budget, 38%. 38% of what we currently averaging was put us in around 960 people per Sunday. We feel like that's very doable for a couple of reasons. Number one, one of the things that churches look at is what's your Easter and Christmas service. We've been averaging 1,100. That's what your rough guideline could be your potential growth. 
Also, when you look at vibrant growing churches, when there's more seats available, they almost always see at least a 50% increase in growth, sometimes as much as 100. So we feel like a 38% increase is doable. All right, we now have a balanced budget. Huge increase in expenses, but a 38% increase in donations. How much of those donations is it gonna cost to service different levels of debt? And at that point then, we could start playing the what if games. And just one example, what we found was we could borrow $2 million at 4.75% interest for 20 years and would only take 13% of that balanced budget to service that debt. Well below the 20% standard that the committee had set, which is even further below what the industry standard is. I'm not saying that we are going to borrow $2 million. What I'm saying is that that is the type of exercise that leadership in this church is going to be going through to make sure that we do not become a slave to debt. Fourth recommendation. This actually comes probably more from the elders than from the Building Stewardship Committee, but that is to conduct what I'm calling a hearing from God building fundraiser. Last winter, the elders went on a retreat up north and uh, talked about a lot of things, but one of the things is how do we expand? How do we avoid what the world has told churches they needed to do to, uh, to pay for buildings? And we dug into the Old Testament and we looked at some examples. When it came time to build the tabernacle, when it came time to build the temple, and especially when it came time to rebuild the temple after the exile, as explained in, in the book of Ezra, their building campaign is a, was a whole lot different than what the world has been telling churches the last several years they needed to do. They simply laid out the need, and they did it in detail. So much copper, so much gold, so many uh, cedars from Lebanon and so forth, and then they just turned it over to God. And God did the asking. People felt moved, their hearts were moved, and it was a free will offering. That's the approach that, and Luke's gonna expound on this here in just a little bit, that's the approach that we wanna take eliminating the debt, and it's the approach that we wanna take as we move forward and figure out the final financial package to pay for this addition that we feel like we're being led to. One thing about this approach though, it requires plenty of communication. We have to be very specific. This is the need, this is the progress, but it will be God's spirit that will be doing the asking and not leadership and not some outside firm that uh, could be brought in to help us with this. Okay, Luke has got a few closing comments, but uh, let's open it up for questions for a little bit. This is a family meeting, so don't be shy. Oh, come on, first service had all kinds of questions. You guys aren't, aren't gonna be shy, are you? Yeah. Uh, his question was, did the finance committee do anything to reduce the cost? Uh, no, that really wasn't their assignment. We just got, within the last week, the preliminary cost estimate, 
and we feel like there is some fat built into it. And so I'm not going to give you a hard number today. Um, that actually is falling back more on the building design committee because they're familiar with what we can, can trim and so forth. Um, one of the things that I think we can do to help reduce our costs, we've got a lot of skilled people in this congregation. And some contractors, and I think we'll be careful to select one that does, will actually show favoritism towards subcontractors that are within the congregation. Uh, and so I think we can save some money there. And there's some things that you know, we, can, we can trim. The other thing, as I see this, it'll be a three-phase process. The first phase would be adding the 22,000 or so square foot footage out here. Uh, and by the way, one of the beauties of this is that we can continue to have church just the way we are. There'll be a construction zone out here, but until we get ready to open up windows to become doorways, we can have church just the way we are. That would be phase one, the new construction. Phase two would be remodeling the cafe into offices and a conference room and opening up the entire loft for a youth room. I believe we can do that in-house. We've got a number of uh, contractors in the congregation. Demolition, I think we'd probably have about a, 20 guys ready to tear those walls down up there. That'd be a lot of fun. And so I think we can take that part and uh, uh, do it in-house and save a lot of money there. The third phase, and I haven't shared this, but uh, since you're sitting here, it'll be fairly easy for you to imagine. This room has a lot of value as a multi-use room, multi-use chapel. It works well for weddings, uh, conferences, that sort of thing. It can also work well for overflow. Notice how high this ceiling is. This building was designed to actually take the second floor and extend it right over the top of this. We can do that and literally move what you're sitting in right now up to the second floor. That creates 20, about 2,800 square feet here that we can have a fellowship hall, we can have more classrooms, we can have living room type settings, that sort of thing. It creates an extra 2,800 feet at a pretty low cost per square footage. Then we have a chapel up above us and you say, well, are people really gonna wanna go up there for conferences and so forth? First of all, remember, there's an elevator the other thing that's included in this price is just on the other side of that wall will be a mezzanine with a nice wide staircase coming up in the mezzanine that will flow in. The orientation of this room, if it moves upstairs, would be different. The stage would be over there and up 11 feet. Uh, so what I'm saying is that would be the third phase. And we could, we could kick that can down the road a few years if we wanted to because there's value in the room just the way it sits if we felt like we grew to the point we needed a few more classrooms, we needed a fellowship hall, we can extend that floor and uh, for quite reasonable per square footage, we can essentially move this, this room up to the second floor. I'm not sure I answered your question, Alec, but I kind of rambled on that one. Other questions? Yeah, one more, oh, yeah, Gene. Um, 
I'm not sure I can give a hard number. Do you have a number? Gene was on our, our uh, stewardship committee. Do you have a? It's annually 25000 There we go. Annually, we, if we paid off the debt by September, annually we'd save 25000 Luke, we've got 10 minutes left. Why don't you wrap things up? Can we get that picture of the building back up, Kyle? About a quarter million of the cost is hanging a huge sheet with a beautiful sunset like that around the entire property. So if we get rid of that. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> All right, thanks, Doug. I just want to wrap up by saying a few words this morning uh, about uh, this building kind of project. I, you know, I know every single one of us at some point or another, if we've attended church for uh, most of our lives, if we've been through a building project before a building phase in a church, and I would say, and this is just kind of a guess here, but a lot of times, nine out of ten of those people who've been through that, it's been a very negative experience. Um, sometimes it's been an absolute nightmare. Uh, I mean, it seems like every Sunday you're just being hammered to give more money. You're getting letters in the mail to give more money, and all the sermons are geared around giving more money. Um, I mean, it can get just sometimes overwhelming. And I talked to a guy who not only was all that happening, but some, some of the leaders of the church showed up at his door with some pamphlets saying, listen, if you give uh, a $500 gift donation, we're going to put a little plaque of your name on the pulpit, and it'll be there, you know, forever. If you give a thousand gift, you we will put a placard in the hallway, and if you uh, give over five thousand, there'll be a picture of you, you know, in the hallway. And it's just like, and he just was so irate and kicked him out of his house, and he didn't get his name put anywhere. But uh, I can only, I can totally understand how the topic of a building can make people nervous, you know, as you're sitting here this morning. Um, and it's very easy during a building phase to, uh, for the church family to focus so much on the building that it starts to lose focus as to why it even exists. Uh, it's easy for staff to do that too. Um, and we do not want to make that mistake here at Whitestone. We always want to continue to keep in mind that we are here to extend the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Whitestone. Amen? It's, it's, we always got to keep that in our mind. And so I want to take time to put your minds at ease this morning. Yes, the leadership of Whitestone feels that God wants us to build an addition to the current building we're in. But that being said, uh, we know and believe that this building is just a tool to be used to accomplish the mission that we've been given. And the mission we've been given is to make disciples who believe, who understand, and who live and who extend the kingdom of God. That's why we exist. And a building is simply a tool to make that happen. Um, it's so easy for a church to let their identity be found in a building. Well, that's ridiculous because the building is not the church. We are the church. Amen? That's, that's who we are. We are the church. And, and we will not let the building become our identity. And I also want to say this as the senior pastor of White Stone, I'm telling you today that during this building phase, my job will not change. Uh, I'm still going to be focusing diligently on the making of disciples who understand and live and extend the kingdom of God. And I commit to you that I will not swerve from that. Uh, every sermon I preach will be because I believe God wants me to preach it. 
Now, I say that because a lot of churches where they bring in a building campaign firm to come in and do this, they will literally tell the pastors that here is going to be the series for the next three years of what to preach on, you know, the topic on money or whatever, to try to generate as much giving as possible. Well, I refuse to do that because that's not what we're, it's not what we're being asked to do. Our mission statement cannot change. And so every sermon I preach is because I believe God wants me to preach it, not because some building campaign thinks we need to do a series on money to generate more giving for a building. And, and I want you to hear this too from my lips. Um, every, every ounce of leverage that God has given me in leadership of this church, that God has entrusted to me as a senior pastor, will be used to encourage you to continue to run after Jesus, not to give more money. I'm not going to use it for that. Thank you. I'm going to also commit to you that Whitestone will continue to be a guilt-free zone. Um, in other words, when it comes to giving, for whatever need there might be, you will not be guilted into giving. We will present the need and then let you talk to the Lord about it, and then you and the Lord work out how much he wants you to give. It's between you and him. And, and as you can see, you know, here at this church, we don't take an offering. Uh, we simply have some giving boxes in the hallway. I get asked by people all the time, where in the world do you give at this church? Well, it's in those little boxes. And in those boxes, you know, you can give. No one's watching you. No one's forcing you. You can freely and cheerfully, not under any condemnation, give whatever the Lord wants you to give. And we're not going to manipulate you. We're not going to coerce you. We're not going to try to trick you to give. Um, you know, I was talking to someone uh, recently who uh, a pastor actually called him up at his house and said, Hey, I noticed you didn't give as much this last month as you normally do. Just checking in to see why that's the case. I will not be calling you up to do that. Uh, and, and by the way, can I just say this? Uh, no one... No one on the leadership, no one in the church except one person who's our finance manager, who she has to do that. No one knows what anyone gives in this church because it's not our business. It's between you and God. And so it's, we're not going to try to cater to those who might give more. Whatever. It's just that we love each other you know, equally, and we're just going to continue to act as a family with that as well. I, I've also heard a guy came up to me and said he went to a church. <laughs> I think this is awesome. He went to a church where they hung everybody's giving up in a monthly thing. Can you imagine? Uh, Johnson's only gave five bucks this month. Must have been five weeks in the month. Who knows? Whatever. Well, that would be just absolutely horrible. Um, so, uh, we're not going to coerce you or anything. Giving is between you and the Lord. And here's what Scripture tells us. The Lord wants a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Not someone who gives reluctantly and under obligation. And as I said, this is God's kingdom, and he will grow his kingdom as he sees fit. And in his timing, we'll use that one urinal for 10 years if we have to. I don't care. We will, we will use it, but God will do what he's going to do. It's simply our job to seek him and obey him. Amen? So as we move forward into this next phase of what we feel God wants us to do, as a family, I want to encourage us, guys, let's unswervingly run after Jesus no matter what and be used by him to reach a world who desperately needs it. Um, our job description continues to hang on that wall. Let's, let's just all read that out loud together if we can. I know you guys who are directly underneath probably can't, but let's just try to do that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is our job description. And so let's throw ourselves into the work of God, knowing, like it says in Corinthians, that it is never in vain. It's never in vain. And I want to close with this. You know, in the beginning I mentioned that we're a family, and I really mean that. You guys are some of the best people in the world. Um, You really are. I truly love you guys. And you know what? What we have in this church, this sense of family, is precious. It is very, very precious. I, I meet with pastors all the time who in their church family, it's just dysfunctional. There's disunity. It's a mess. And God has blessed us with a real sense of unity, a real sense of family, and it's very precious. And so let's protect the unity that God has given us, even in the midst of growing pains. I know growing pains can be tough, but we can still have unity in the midst of it. Amen? All right, guys, love you so much. Uh, I mean that. Let me just pray pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this Whitestone family. They are absolutely amazing. And God, I thank you how you are working in each one of their hearts and lives. You are transforming them into the image of Jesus. And I pray that we might go out into this world and be lights, that we might make disciples in our own circles of influence and extend your kingdom. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys. If you have any questions, talk to Doug.